Ciao. Ciao. Hey, don't hang up. This is Jello Ciao Ciao, the all Jello show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Great Creeperson and the Phantom Eric and Chris want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Chow chow, everybody. Everybody? That's a word, too. Everybody. Welcome to Jalo Chow Chow, the all Jalo show where we make up words as we go. The time now is roughly 6.30. I know that because Dallas is on. You know, <laughs> that show where the people got money coming out of their you-know-whats. Quick, 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 quick. It's roughly 9.30 for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I am Creep. I am the author of the Shallow Jallow Mystery Thrillers. And also on our broadcast this evening, we have... The Phantom Eric. Why don't we go with Chris first? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, it's me. Writer at JelloScore.com. I am the proprietor of JelloScore.com. Hello, everyone. Good morrow to you. Nice. Whatever that means. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm Eric, as they alluded to earlier. Uh, I don't really have Not any. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> I don't really have any Jello credentials. I'm just here for the ride. Dude, you you so have Jalo credentials now. I mean, what what episode is this? Come on, dang, yeah, it's true. Thirty two episodes. Thirty two. You've been you've been talking about this this genre of film now for like a year and a half almost. And before that, he was doing it on a hundred years of horror. Oh, yeah. Sure, right? Yeah, I had my. Where's some Jalo sprinkled in there? A Jalo phase. Yeah. I gotta stop saying Jalo. I was kind of like, need to say said, oh, Jolly. Yeah. Gotta say Jolly. Yeah. You, know, you know, the reason why I say that is because, um, well, I'll just give an, a quick update. So I've been doing some work and doing a lot of thinking about the website and whatnot. And um, <clears throat> I decided that uh, as new and, and more people come to the site and want it, to, it's very difficult for me to decide how to present the very front page of the website because some people are coming for the very first time and they don't necessarily know what the site is about. And some people are coming because they might be going to see the latest scores 
I kind of wanted to have the homepage like a news page where you know you could get right to the meat and potatoes of the site. But if you're a new person, how do you quickly understand what's going on? So I had like a little blurb at the top of the page that said, you know, if you're new here, click this section and this section and this section. Um, but I know that people have a very short attention span. So I went into um, the podcast where we did um, Case of the uh, Bloody Iris. That's right. Um, which was the very first one I was on with you guys. And we did uh, about 30 minutes on the website itself. So I edited that out and threw it up on SoundCloud and I threw it on the website. So uh, just kind of making it easier for people to, to understand like what the site's about and what it's all doing and, and so on and so forth. Um, well, it's always easier to just cut out anything I have to say. That's been proven. Well, no, I mean, you know, there's you asked some really, really good questions and there were some pretty funny parts um where you basically said well so i so uh how come uh the staples are 60 points the sig the uh the standards are 30 and the signatures are 10 and i said well because i wanted it to add up to 100 and you're like okay <laughs> makes sense to me uh, and, and let's move on from there so anyway i've been thinking a lot about the website and um what did i want to say first i can't remember um so we're getting close to 50 films on the site. We're at 44, and I had some great ideas for what I want to do once we get to 50. Um, it's going to be like a kind of like if you if you've got an investment portfolio, you get a quarterly report in the mail with a bunch of pie charts and graphs and shit. So I'm going to do that on the site for the first 50, and I'm not exactly sure what it's all going to be about yet, but. Um, you know, I came up with some really cool statistics and ideas for charting and just geeky stuff, like stuff that's just totally ridiculous that will make it fun uh, for people who are interested in how the numbers crunch. So um, stay tuned for that. Obviously, it will come eventually. Um, and uh, apart from that, um, I just wanted to say... Uh, I just wanted to make a public apology to Mr. Troy Howarth. Am I saying it right this time, Eric, you think? Uh, do I think? or I, Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I screwed it up last time, so I'm not going to even... I like how he doesn't even bother asking me. It's like, oh, he'll fuck it up. <laughs> well, no, the only reason why I asked Eric was because he responded to Troy's uh, post on Facebook about how he didn't pronounce it correctly. And then I think when we did the podcast last week, I didn't, I said, I don't even remember the guy's name because I don't have it in front of me. And um, Eric said, Troy Howarth or yeah, Howarth. I, was, I tried to get it real quickly and it was like trying to say a, one of our famous well, Troy, Italian names from the movies. You're screwing your name up royally now. So the correct way to say it is. Well, we never found out. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say it. <laughs> we, no? We were really hoping that you would do it right. Yeah. No, you don't know, Creed? Okay. No. So it's so it's Troy. Uh, and again, Troy is the author of So Deadly, So Perverse, uh, 50 Years of Italian Giallo Films. Um, volume 1 is in print. And we talked about it last week, and I um, had a lot of really great things to say about it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to Volume 2 especially since we're covering New York Ripper and I wanted to read 
uh, I wanted to start a new kind of thing that we do in an effort to promote Troy's book by reading his write-up of the synopsis for the movies that we cover because they're really short and they don't give away any um, spoilers. But unfortunately, he's only got volume one out, so I'm going to have to go to my backup plan, which is Adrian Luther Smith's Blood and Black Lace for New York Ripper. But at any rate, um, again, really love the book and sorry to Troy um, again for uh, getting his name wrong and getting the name of the book title a little screwed up. Um, but we will move on and upward and we will continue to plug his book because it's really cool. At least I will. So Yeah, and I'll say that uh, it's it's the yellow book when you look up his name. And I think that anytime you get something with a yellow cover or yellow uh, art, people are listening to the show are probably going to gobble it up. Yeah. Oh, it's just, Absolutely. Just that, be- <clears throat> that beautiful shade of yellow. Yellow. Yeah. Um, also, the, I was uh, going to say just uh, one more thing. Last but not least, um, this Saturday, I will be making the trek over to New York City's oh Lower East Side um, to uh, catch the double feature. Now, if I really uh, wanted to just ruin you know um, any sort of sleep pattern whatsoever I would stay and um, try to hoof it over to Brooklyn because they're showing a midnight screening of Orgasmo uh, that would happen immediately after uh, Four Flies so it's um, Death Laid an Egg and then Torso and then Four Flies on Grey Velvet now I'm probably not going to make it in time for death laid an egg and i'm not that disappointed about that so you're such um, a pompous jerk <laughs> but i am excited to go and see these two um i'm really bummed that they're not showing tenebrae because if i could pick one of the films that i want to see on the big screen it would be that one because um that's one of my favorite films uh but unfortunately you have to take it where you can and i know that um there are some groups or some people in our uh facebook group that um, have gone to some of the films. So um, if anybody out there has uh, any uh, reports from the scene, uh, it would be great if you could uh, post them or even um, find a way to um, send them to us, either via email or voicemail. I guess we don't do necessarily voicemail, voicemail, right, Creep? We do kind of... We can. We can do like attach a... Like record a... um, a voice memo and email it or something like that or you could do that or you could call 5599 creep zero from your touchtone phone 50- and leave a message wow 5599 creep zero that's yeah. pretty cool now, that, that was pretty amazing that that worked out like that huh excellent yeah if you want to if, if you don't want to do that you don't have to some people get really nervous on the phone. And some people get nervous when you tell them letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to repeat it with the numbers. Yeah, I don't know it that way. Oh. <laughs> have you ever noticed that like now nowadays when people have like a, a name for their phone number, they always put the actual numbers in parentheses and yeah. print because it's like, okay, well, that gimmick is over. You know you just want the number. Well, people might not know how to read, you know, and that's okay. Do you, were you guys old enough to remember when the first three numbers were like KL5 or... 
Um, I don't know, Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> Isn't that just because Called... it was 555? Five, five, five? Like those fake right. TV numbers? Called yeah. Klondike 742. <laughs> what the hell does Ricky Ricardo have to do with it? Because that... whenever Lucy and Ricky get on the phone, they are dialing numbers like that. Don't you guys watch I Love Lucy, like, religiously, or is that just me? That's you. You guys want to church. Okay. It's a freaking staple as far as, like, uh, American sitcoms go. Okay. Yeah, no, I've heard that. I think I may have watched a few episodes when I was younger, but Are I you don't... serious? You've only seen a couple episodes of I Love Lucy? Yeah, probably. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to do, like, Lucy No No podcast. Lucy Chow Chow. <laughs> Just two I Love Lucy episodes. I can do that all day long. <laughs> But anyway, um, enough about that. Um, I do also want to apologize to all of our loyal and amazing listeners who have been trying to get into the Facebook group for the last month and haven't been able to because, shockingly, there wasn't an admin to the group after I got my account deleted. But luckily, Eric figured out a way to make it work. Uh kind of i remember that i used to have an old account on facebook and i remember the password and i logged in and all of a sudden i was like you know what i need to just get rid of this account i don't want anyone tracking me down you know how it goes and so i went to close it and said hey you're an admin of jello chow chow (laughs) uh, (laughs) took me by surprise so i'm like oh let me just see what i what i can do here and made you guys admins and all of a sudden we get this flood of people coming in And, uh, yeah, needless to say, I was feeling a, a little bit, uh, I don't know. Powerful? Well, powerful at the time, yes, but I was also, I felt like I had let this responsibility slip slip past, and uh, I was a little ashamed of myself. Wow, look at that new snuckle. And then uh, Crete posts a picture of Old Yeller instead of New York Ripper. Okay, let me just explain. (laughs) I was in the middle of getting the edits back for my zombie book that comes out tomorrow, so I've been a little stressed out. And um, I'm like, shit, I gotta get everything ready for tonight. And so I just typed into Google, New York Ripper dog. Right. And that was the first picture that came up. And all I saw was a hand coming out of a dog's mouth. And I'm like, click save. That's it. That must <laughs> be right it. Along. But yeah, apparently there are many dogs with appendages coming out of their mouths that one, people. Yeah. One um, of us got it right, I think. Yeah. I think it was Chris. Chris and it wasn't Eric either. I should have <laughs> just went with the good old toe up the dress like I was going to yeah. do originally. Yeah, it's a closed group, you know. Yeah. But that could be and from I multitude thought. different movies as well. Oh, no, I, I know that uh, toenail anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is true. This is not a toenail that you can confuse with any other toenail. It's so sad that I recognize the foot better than I recognize oh. the dog. Oh. <laughs> going to be sick. <laughs> I don't... Which What's worse, the fish eating scene or the toenail? Oh, the fish by far. Oh man, that toenail is really bad. No, I could I could watch the toe scene a million <laughs> times without having anything bad happen to me. Oh, for Christ's Only sake! Only good things. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Any other news? Eric, maybe. News. Um. No, it's just kind of along the same lines as Chris, where uh, 
uh, Troy's post, or actually it was the post from his page for his book, kind of popped up and saying, hey, I was featured on this show, and uh, because I follow the the book page, um, I saw it come in, so I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool, and then, uh, then I saw further down that we had kind of butchered the name and everything, so that was uh, something I want. I was hoping to rectify by maybe one day getting Troy himself on the show. We'll see if that happens, but... That'd be awesome. Yeah, and t- uh, yeah that Outside of that, that would be don't very really have much. So, other than the fact that I watched this movie that we're talking about, nice. that's my news. Well, the group is um, the Facebook group is up to 175 members, which is really cool. Yay! I'm getting some residual likes. Um, a long time ago, um, Jalo Score uh, put up a Facebook page, and I had. I don't really do much on it because I do pretty much everything on the group page here for the podcast, but I've been getting a lot of likes on mine as well. And I'm sure it's people coming from here from our group. So, um, it's pretty cool. There's, uh, seems like, um, you know, there's a little bit of a following going on here. And yeah. it's kind of weird because uh, I was getting like four or five likes a day on hundred years of horror, which had always kind of hovered around a hundred or so when the show was actually going on. And then it got it like doubled it after I kind of took it off the air. So that was also something that really puzzled me for the longest time. I, and I thought it was all spammers, but then I'd look at the profiles and they'd be real people. And what do you guys think about doing a like page for the thing? Because I know that's a lot more accessible for people. Yeah. But um, I don't know. What do you think? That's kind of how I. I never had a group for my <clears throat> original show, so. I kind of liked it that way. But the group is more, definitely more interactive, and you could put up polls and, and things like that. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in that. Um, and guess what? I actually have the top 10 of the last 10 from like two episodes ago. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, for the, uh, for the user, user top 10. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know about it. Is that cool? Some of this might come as... I'm just going to keep going. Um, <laughs> some of this might come as a complete shock to you. And if I sound like I'm a rattlesnake, say something so I can pull the microphone out of my big man beard. It's a cross yeah. between a rattlesnake and like a rain stick. You know what a rain stick sounds like? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, at number 10, we have... Slaughter Hotel. Not a surprise. Now, now, can I interrupt? Is this an average of all the people that sent things in, or no? I just picked the one person and told everyone else to suck it. Oh, I don't. How many? How many people sent something in? We had twelve. I need a data key. You know what I mean? I need some 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 context here with this with these well, results. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a couple of little like. Hmm. at the end of this. So, um, Slaughter Hotel was number 10, and you guys are going to be shocked by number 9, as I was, Sister of Ursula. Those two are just Not easing shocked. a pod yeah. down there. Yeah. Number 8, My Dear Killer. Uh, number 7 was the Pajama Jam Girl Case. <laughs> number 6, Knife of Ice. Uh, let's see here. Number five, 
Frenzy. Number four, Blade in the Dark. Number three, Happy Birthday to Me. Wow. Number two, Perversion Story. Right. And number one, Blood and Black Lace. Now, Blood and Black Lace, only one person did not have that at number one. They just wanted to be that person had that person had what at number one? A Blade in the Dark. Wow. Yeah. It was me. The son beats the father. <laughs> um, but uh, Knife of Ice on a lot of everyone's lists was number five. Hmm. But um, And then other than that, um, Pajama Girl Case, Ursula, and Slaughter Hotel uh, really hung out at the bottom of everybody's lists for the most part with some exceptions i was gonna say i think i'm a, i'm the voice of the people but then i just looked at mine again and i had pajama girl at two so that is incorrect you're yeah, just you guys, gonna be you guys had some kind I, of rock reference i think you guys both had perversion story further down than two right add four uh i think i had mine at three or four. Oh, okay that's right because cool. I think I had Ursula too. Oh yeah, <laughs> or something like that. That Amalfi cool. Coast got gotcha. you. Oh, that wasn't the only part of that movie that got me. Mm. The sister? No. Ursula. The prostitute. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm totally serious. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fun one. But yeah, we don't need to beat that dead horse a whole bunch. Yeah, it so. was kind of a strange mix of ten films that we covered. It was, and there were a couple that were not really shallow, you know. Yeah. So there was that whole kind of ludicrousness going on. But um, I just appreciate that everyone sent in uh, their top. Yeah. Gotta get rid of that rattlesnake in your house, dude. I'm gonna get rid of a rattlesnake in your face. <laughs> I don't I I seriously don't know. I might have slipped a little bit. But um here we go. There we go. Alright. So what do you guys think about uh, our next film? Because if we go by the polling, I think we have a tie for the top spot. Um, we have Red Queen kills seven times at nine votes, and we have Death Walks at Midnight at nine votes. Well, I'll just go vote right now and change it. I think. Oh, okay. I think what we should do um, something we totally Surprise. forgot to mention in the news because I guess it happened during an off week um, is that I think that we should do uh, Death Walks at Midnight simply because of the. Uh, recent death in the Giallo community that we had. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know if you guys are following me. What are... Uh, Eric Coley. The director died, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He unfortunately passed away right after we got done talking about one of his films, uh, Forbidden Photos. And I so hope I... it had nothing to do with me telling him stories bad. Right. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever been linked or not, but uh, yeah, either way, we, we do... Uh, send our condolences and uh, hope hope for the best for Ercole in the afterlife whatever he's choosing to do 
But I think while we're still here in this realm, we should maybe cover his, his film. That's up to you guys. I'm down. Yeah, no, I think that would make sense. I mean, it's the last one. We covered the other two, so we can put the trilogy behind us. Yeah. We cover that one next. And uh, I'm interested to watch it because I've watched the first, say, 10 to 15 minutes of that film about five times and never went any further. I either fell asleep because I was too tired to keep my, you know, to stay awake or I just didn't really get into it and turned it off. So. Oh, I bet it's uh, awesome. And everybody says it's the best one of the three. So. Really? Well, I don't know about everybody, but I think I think Troy's in Troy's book um that we were plugging earlier he mentions that he, i think i think he mentions that that death walks at midnight is the strongest of the three ercoli films i'll have to um oh, look that up for next i'll have to look that up for next time um just out of curiosity <clears throat> does anyone know of any other um sort of shallow trilogies because we did the animal trilogy and now we're gonna finish up the butthole face trilogy right well is and there you know, any the, more the red queen kills seven times and the night evelyn came out of the grave are kind of related um it's the same director and it's the same kind of i'm not sure i i never saw evelyn came out of the graves i think it's the same characters or some of the same characters but i can't be too sure so i think they pair those two together a lot um but other than that, I don't think so. There's a question for you guys. Yeah. If any of you hardcore completists out there could put together some awesome trilogies for us that are kind of legit. Will we accept the Let Mother us... of Tears trilogy? I was going to bring that up. but <laughs> I was going to bring that up too. It's just like so many people argue yeah. that those aren't those, that, that they're not. I mean, ugh. I don't consider Suspiria so to be a Jalo. I never did either, but I know that there are people that do. And but we've seen so many movies that are so not conventional that I don't see why that can't be. Well, I mean, there it's it's very much like every other Argento film in that there's a mystery and there's something that happens at the beginning of the film that then gets misinterpreted or that gets later discovered at the end of the film but i think you know there's a tendency for people who aren't as deep into jolly as we are to uh put suspiria in the list um because it's argento's most known film and it's argento is known for, as a giallo director um and it's his most accessible it's his most available film i mean you don't hear people talking about inferno being a giallo um, and Inferno and Suspiria are really kind of the same idea. It's the fantastical, supernatural horror kind of thing. So I, I, I firmly uh, stand on the side of Suspiria not being a giallo. Um, whether we want to cover it uh, and say how jolly is it uh, is another story altogether. Um, and either way, I'm fine because it's such a great film. I don't mind watching it for any <clears throat> purpose. You know, with this film that we're covering tonight, I always watched it as more of like a horror movie, even though it's um, there's nothing 
there's nothing supernatural about New York Ripper, um, but because I guess it's an 80s thing, it's kind of got more of a slasher feel to it in a certain extent. But I watched it this time for its giallo elements, and it's more jolly than I thought it was. So we'll get into that in a bit. But, um, you know, that's the cool part about doing this is that we can pick films that aren't necessarily um, ones that people would normally consider giallo and find out or figure out, you know, where they borrow what they borrow from the genre uh, and, and of course the other side of the coin is that you know if you have a loose interpretation of what it means to be a giallo if it's just a thriller if it's if it's a movie I that think americans have a harder time saying what they are than probably anybody else right exactly i think italians know that yeah, it's you know some sort of a horror influenced mystery type of film um, or maybe not even horror influence, some just sort of mystery type thriller type film with, with or without horror elements, you know, it is a giallo. So, you know, maybe Al can help us out on that one. Who knows? Ow! All right. So do you want to, um, I guess this will be the part where we play the trailer, right? Trailer, engage. strange voice. Said he'd call you back. He sounded just like a duck. Just like a duck. If the guy who attacked her is our friend who calls and talks like a duck, well, he's made his first big mistake. Yeah. Anyway, we've got all five boroughs alerted, and we'll also inform all the radio stations. Shouldn't be too hard to find a guy missing two fingers in his right hand. Poor dumb cop. <laughs> you don't think I'm the data and we'll wait till the next victim. So you think he'll do it again? Oh, yes.
Wow, that was the trailer for New York Ripper. Riveting as always. Right. You always think you're going to find something new when you see that trailer. Can somebody do the duck thing again for me, whoever it was that does it? That's really good. <laughs> I grew up with my dad Is doing it, Donald Duck impressions. I never it Eric or Creep? I don't know who's doing it's it. It's Eric. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he was questioning his credentials. Exactly. <laughs> I could call people up on the phone and act like a creep, but... Watch it. Oh, uh, act like a weirdo. That sounds good. So, Chris, why don't you um, dive toe first into the synopsis for us? <laughs> Thank you for that reference. Uh, okay, so I'm going to do something here. Um, what I what I wanted to do, what I alluded to earlier, was that you know maybe taking a um, a little uh, synopsis from some printed works that we refer to. I'm looking at Adrian Luther Smith's Blood and Black Lace on page 79. He covers New York Ripper, and his write-up is The dismembered body of a model is discovered. Soon after, a female cyclist is attacked by an assailant making bizarre duck-like noises, and the female sex show performer is savagely murdered, her crotch mutilated with a broken <gasps> bottle. Another young woman, Faye, is attacked and dashes into an empty cinema. The killer follows and is revealed to be a young man. But this revelation is actually a nightmare in which Faye imagines her own boyfriend, Peter, as the killer. The police announce that their man, their main suspect is a low-life individual with missing fingers, which prompts a nymphomaniac who is having sex with the sleazy man, fitting the description, to go into panic. She, too, is prompted... She, she, too, is promptly slashed to death. Meanwhile, the Ripper continues to taunt the police, even going as far as torturing and killing a prostitute frequented by the world-weary cop on the case. Mickey Scalenda's corpse is subsequently discovered, and it emerges that he was just a procurer for the killer. Okay, and that's where it ends with Adrian Luther Smith. Um, that was a very, very quick rundown. Basically... Um, New York Ripper is a giallo in that we have a murder mystery. We have a, um, a person who is, uh, killing, uh, women. Um, and we have a detective, uh, who goes by the name of Lieutenant Williams. Uh, he enlists the help of psychologist, Dr. Paul Davis to help profile the killer. Uh, meanwhile, um, there's a couple of parallel tracks that run through, uh, the plot, one of them being um, Mickey Scalenda, who is the uh, kind of gigolo, the male gigolo of the story. And um, is it Jane, who is the uh, sex nymphomaniac, who is actually very well-to-do um, and basically just drives her Porsche around and records uh, sex shows on her little micro-cassette recorder. Um, while all that's going on, we have a killer who stalks uh, the girl in the, uh, on the ferry uh, and then also the sex performer um, that Bicky and uh, Jane visit the, the sex performing show. And then after the performer leaves, she gets killed in the, uh, in the back room. 
Uh, meanwhile, as all that's happening, we have this other story with Faye, who is, I think, a uh, up-and-coming, some sort of an Olympic athlete. I don't know if it's running or cycling. Uh, she has some sort of a uh, some sort of a national championship for one of her sports. Um, and she's on the subway, and she sees this Mickey Scalenda guy, the guy with the two fingers missing. And there's a stalking scene, um, and she ends up getting attacked by the Ripper, and then runs into this um, movie theater. Wakes up after having a nightmare that her own boyfriend slashes her throat, and then we have this second part of the film where we're introduced to these two characters. Um, and again, just like um, the brief synopsis, we continue to follow and all the signs kind of point to this Mickey Scalenda person, but eventually he ends up dead with about 15 minutes to go in the film. So um, there's really not much a mystery at that point because there's really not that many characters left. Um, but, uh, you know, watching the end again, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a lot more mystery to it than I remember. So I'd like to talk about that kind of stuff. But basically... Um, it's a pretty simple uh, synopsis in that you have a killer is on the loose, you have a detective who's trying to figure out what's going on, and um, some suspects. Um, and uh, that, that's really as much as I can give you for a synopsis um, without getting into the details. <clears throat> as far as the Jalo score is concerned, I'll just throw that out there. Um, New York Ripper gets a 66, but I have some questions um, that you guys can help me answer as we discuss this that may boost the film score up uh, over 70. Uh, so when we get into that, I'll let you guys know. So, um, Who would like to... I guess at this point we talk about how we interpreted the film or how we how we were feeling as we watched it or what it did to us or what we took away from the film or certain scenes that we enjoyed or what have you. Eric, do you want to take that first? Ooh, well, it's very generous of you. Thanks, Creep. Um, You're sir. Welcome. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's in the title, New York Ripper. So, um, and, and you mentioned it in the synopsis. This does take place in New York. So that's a little bit of a different scenery than we've been used to the last 31 episodes I guess we have jumped around to, you know, England and some other countries, but I'm not sure. Is this our first time in America? I guess happy birthday to me. Well, well that was in Canada, wasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, technically, I think it was. So, um, but this well, is no, definitely... Well, um, no, her version story was in San Francisco. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was a good and, and another Fulci film, too, so... <laughs> yeah, he just does not want to stay in Italy, I guess. Um, yeah, this is almost, what, 13, 14 years later? 13, I think? Yeah. So now we're in New York City, and it's uh, clearly New York, though, for, I guess, maybe only the exterior shots. I think a lot of the interior shots still look pretty, like the sets still look uh, kind of like they're done back home in Italy. Maybe, maybe because it was cheaper. I'm not quite sure how that part of it works, but... The, uh, the part of that they showed of New York, you know, and everyone talks about this when they talk about films like Maniac and, and those kinds of films that took place in the early 80s, these horror films, just the sleaziness of it. Uh, I think Fulci might have gone a little overboard with how sleazy he went towards 
uh, some of the aspects of the film to the point that it was almost kind of unrealistic. Uh, like the uh, the sex shows um, looked a little too pristine, a little too clean inside of that that theater house. Uh, and uh, but maybe that was really how it looked. I don't know. I've never been to one. I don't know what it looks like inside. So I didn't grow up on Forty Second Street in nineteen eighty two. Right. Tragically, um, but I did really dig that. I, I always dig that in films, and I and I did like it in this one for the most part. And I, I liked how they kind of tackled this post Son of Sam uh, serial the Zodiac killer era, even though that was in California, I believe, uh, of just these killers that are more seeking fame than anything. And we've got this guy calling into the police headquarters talking like a duck. Whether he's psychotic or that's part of his game, you don't really know throughout most of the film. And uh, it's, I think, watching it with that lens, maybe if you had seen this film in 1982, you would have that would have still been pretty fresh in your mind. And I think that that would have, uh, I think that would lend to this film being that much more effective, I guess, because you just you have these killers that are almost playing games and. Uh, that's what this guy's doing in this one. It seems like at first until the psychotic aspect of it comes in and makes it a little messier. Like you're saying, it's almost like this film's two halves of a whole. And uh, I know Creep's going <clears> to <throat> chime in here with a, talking about the toe again, going into some other kind of a hole. But <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, but yeah, for the most yeah, that's that's my initial take on it and, and uh, what I liked about it. How about, how about yourself, Mister Creep? Uh, well. I I do like the how sleazy it is because it's really 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 trashy compared to a lot of the other movies that we've done on here. Um, but again, like I'm not a huge fan of like gore gore. So like if I'm seeing noodles coming out of an abdomen when someone's cutting, that's gonna like make me go ugh. You know, <clears throat> but as far as like the things that I normally like from these kinds of films, the the fashion and the design and the interiors, this doesn't do that for me like most of the older movies than this do. No, and I don't know any of that stuff. It doesn't have any of it. There there are like traces of it in their like apartment and stuff like that or their little condo yeah. or whatever. But it's so not there compared the to 80s. other things. Yeah. yeah, but this is still like early the the thing that's weird about from like seventy eight to like eighty four, it was almost like the eighties didn't know what the fuck it was. And it was like going, okay, like we're kind of crazy, we're kind of excess, we're kind of wearing more clothes than we should, we kind of have hard tan lines, but we don't really know what we are yet. And so early 80s, I still really like a lot of things that come out of the early 80s, especially when it comes to your slasher movies and stuff. Um, But it's for a different reason. Like um, slasher movies, to me have more of a nostalgia value than um, the Jallos of the late 60s and 70s, or the Jally. And um, <clears throat> one of the things about this movie in particular, um, this to me feels more like a slasher because it 
it just there's so many elements of this that I had seen copied and redone in other movies throughout the 80s and early 90s because that's like what I ate, slept, and drank on. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But the thing about this movie that bothers me is more the story and how it's told because I really hate the fact that we're watching a movie for like a good half hour before like the main cast really comes into it. Right. That like seriously irritates the shit out of me. And I understand how this story plays out. So I understand why this story does that, but I don't like it. I think it's, it's not my favorite type of telling a story, I guess. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, because I I was kind of in the same camp in the beginning of, well, earlier this week, uh, or th- this past week when I was going over the film again, like, um, and, and having seen it a bunch of times, it's like, okay, when they finally introduce Faye and, um, was it Peter, her boyfriend? Yeah. Um, it's like the movie's half over, and it kind of leaves you trying to figure out what was the point, what was the intention of waiting this long. But I think if you, like you said, creep, it, it, it couldn't have done been done any other way. Cause that's the way that this movie and this script was written. I mean, you had to, the, the, the film introduced the character of the, of the Ripper and of the police commissioner up front and gave you all of that kind of suspense and stalking sequences and just establishing who this killer is and what he's doing before it introduced the people that would ultimately be the people who um, the are responsible. But, yeah. the, but see, the thing is, the way that like, like a slasher movie would handle this, like it would have the first kill or the dog with the hand, okay? And then it would introduce the girl... Or it, the movie might even start off with the movie theater dream. Right. And that might be the first thing. And then while she's in the hospital, we could meet this jacky-ass fucking cop who bangs, like, chicks that are way out of his league. Right. And um, does all that stuff, coming back to the girl in the hospital, and then another murder, back to the girl in the hospital, and then another murder... And all this stuff while the cop and this couple kind of collide halfway through the movie. But the way this is set up, it's not like that. But I I think, like, that's where, when we were brought up on the formula of a slasher movie. Right. Like, I'm not saying that this is bad, the way to do it. I'm just, it jars me because I'm so used to how every other fucking movie does it right exactly and the way you described it you just you described a good slasher formula but fulci clearly approached this like a jolly and or like a jalo and i'm mixing my plurals and singulars oh we're uh, horrible he approached it like a jalo in that you know we've got this introduction of hey there's a killer on the loose but now in most jalo <laughs> here we go again in most jolly um the, the person who's trying to figure out who the killer is is introduced pretty quickly. Um, and so I think that's 
kind of where the the film has this real gray area where it's trying to be a slasher and a giallo at the same time um, and i think it's a successful in in being a giallo only because i've gone back over the um some of the things that happened towards the end and think and thought about some of the things that happened in the middle as it related to the end and the yeah. motive um but you know it also like you said it doesn't have that that style of a giallo and that's partly because of the time period but i mean this is new york city and this is Times square in the 80s and you know everybody was watching um you know, cop shows, American cop shows on TV, like uh, Hill Street Blues and Hunter and all those other shows. And I think that's what Fulci was, that's the style Fulci was going for. And it's like a very nihilistic view of the world and it's it's colorless and um, it's, you know, it doesn't have much flair. Um, I think the murder sequences had flair, but they had flair in a way that was, re, you know, repulsive and misogynistic um, instead of it being, you know, um, like artistic flair flamboyant type murder sequences um that there are a couple of things though like the stalking sequence in the subway i love that scene where faye looks over and sees the 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 mickey scalenda character and then the the lights go out in the subway and then when the lights go back on she looks and he's not in the seat anymore and he all of a sudden shows up like right in front of her with his hand um, I thought that was a really well done scene, and um, I don't know if you guys thought of this. I might be reaching too much, but it feels to me like um, Fulci was doing some sort of a Suspiria kind of homage when the sex worker dancer got killed. Um, because if you if you remember that scene, it was basically like this very plain lit sex uh, scene where. The people are in the theater and they're watching and it's kind of dimly lit, but there's it's not very colorful. It's very drab. And the two people are on that big um, bed. And yeah, they're it looks sex. very much like Lizard and Woman's skin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so then um, uh, Eva or Ava goes in the back and the back room is like nothing but like greens and darks and reds. And it reminded me of like, OK, well, she's a performer and... Suspiria was all about ballet performers and the the color palette and the way that that scene was filmed looked so different than any of the other things other than the the, the one scene which was the movie theater dream sequence scene was was colored up pretty well um, but this this is the only like real real life you know real non-dream action scene where it's very colorful and uh Lots of reds, lots of um, darks, lots of shadows, and, and green, definitely green through that whole that whole scene. And I'm like, that, that really reminds me of Suspiria, so I don't know if it was just a coincidence or what, but um, the rest of the movie really doesn't look like that. The, the dream sequence or the nightmare in the movie theater was very cool. Um, and, you know, well, I guess, you know, we'll continue to talk about the style, and I'd like to get Eric's, you know, um, ideas about that, too. Um, but once we get into the nightmare scene and these two characters, Peter and Faye, and all the stuff that we find out at the end, I just have some questions that I need some opinions on because I'm a little like on the fence as to what, like, some. On one hand, there are some things that I think, if you look into 
if you think about them a little harder, they, they may have been really well-planned out clues. Um, and on the other hand, it might have just been a complete coincidence that they they feel like clues to what's going on at the end. So um, <laughs> it's just like, did Fulci do a really excellent job or did he just do like a half-assed job and it turned out to be... In editing, it was pretty cool. Right. <clears throat> what do you think, Eric? About the... Uh... <laughs> Answer that question that hasn't been asked yet. Got to be yes or no. That's it. Jeez, yeah. A little thrown for a loop. Uh, well, maybe. Um, like to just get back to this whole um thing in the movie. Something you said, Chris, earlier. I don't know if you said it on the show or if it was when we were talking before, but the fact that you know that there's a halfway point in this movie, like. That the movie's different before the movie theater scene you right. know that annoys me <clears throat> I don't think there should be like a place in a film that when you're watching it you could say okay we're at this point now I could like stop it and come back in three days and finish watching it not that you said that but I'm saying like that it's just it's such a jarring you could, say that, movie. you could say that about Psycho if you wanted to. I mean, once um, Marion Crane gets killed in the shower, you know, it's the movie kind of totally switches pace, right? Yeah. I can't compare New York Ripper to Psycho. I, I'm trying to say But I mean, like, what, you know, with the. Up until the in Psycho, up until the point where she gets killed in the shower, you're rooting for her. That's she's your main character. Mm-hmm. And then once Norman dumps her in the in the swamp, um, you know, you're not. It's not clear who you're rooting for. You might be rooting for him, or you might be rooting for her sister and and the uh, and the boyfriend to figure out the mystery. But um, clearly, there's a huge shift. And if I was watching Psycho, now that I've seen it a thousand times, I could start it at the second half. But I think what the difference in that is, is that you have a main character and then your main character dies. And then you realize your main character is really Norman. In this movie, you have the main character as the cop. And then halfway through, it was like, they're like, Hey, this main character kind of sucks. Let's make this couple our main character, but we'll leave him in the movie anyway. And he does like, he's one of the worst. He's really bad. Yeah. And it doesn't help, like, okay, so they brought in the um, psychologist to kind of add that sort of intellectual flair to the investigation, but he's not really that good either. But I look at him way more as, like, the creepy red herring. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's some of my questions. Like, one of the things on the Giallo score is how many suspects do we have in this film? If we have more than three, then it gets some points, right? So Mickey Scalenda is a suspect until the very end when they find him dead. And just um, real quick, that's um, Elton John from Five Dolls for an August Moon, right? Or am yeah. I screwing that one up too? Yeah, it totally is. Okay, it's the cool. Same, the same guy. God, he looks so different, but he looks the same. Okay, sorry. Right. Continue. So he's a suspect. Um, the doctor, the psychologist is a suspect, right? Do you consider yeah, him a suspect? I totally do, yeah. And then, um, obviously, Peter, and I'm going to go out and I, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and say, you know, because Peter's the killer. Um, I mean, it's really not hard to figure out who the killer is once everybody else is dead or 
working for the police. But Peter is definitely a suspect. Um, and the next question is, do you consider Faye to be a suspect? Well, what about the husband of the girl who's in the... Um, who's recording oh. everything. Right, right, exactly. The I thought about him too. Yeah, the open relationship. I feel like as a viewer, we have more suspects than this crap-ass cop does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's bad. Um, this is, um, his name was, what the hell is his name here? Dr. Paul Davis? No, that's the psychiatrist. Right. Or this, uh, Ava, Williams? Uh, Fred Williams, Fred Rogers, the Hammer, Fred Williamson. Yeah, see it. I wrote down Williams in my notes. I... Lieutenant Williams is the is the cop. Yeah, Hunter. That's who we're talking oh, about. Oh, Doctor Doctor Lodge, Doctor Lodge is who we're talking about. His Lodge wife Pole. His oh. wife is Jane Forrester Lodge, and he's Doctor Lodge. Are we going to talk the about one that had all those... Oh yeah, don't forget about him. He makes a great cameo <laughs> as the uh, is he like the superintendent or something? Yeah, or police chief or something. Yeah. And I like how they refer to Atlanta, which was a big thing back then. There was a massive like serial killing spree down in Atlanta in the early 80s and and uh, Fulci's character references that he's talking oh. the guy um okay so do you guys consider Faye to be a suspect I really didn't until the ending and I kind of like the the route they took with the misdirection it didn't feel cheap um right but up until that point I really didn't uh well, there was there was all these things about her, Ugh. like, like first she was doing something about, or, or you know that one scene where they're standing by the door and then he goes to leave and she gives him a smile and as soon as the door closes she gives him that that serious look comes on her face and the music comes on and then she goes up and she she goes up the steps to like investigate what's going on upstairs, yeah, um, but then later at the very last scene when the phone rings. And it's um, Susie, right, from the hospital who calls to talk to her dad. They don't show you who's doing the talking on that end of the phone. Yeah. And both Faye and Peter are listening on the phone. And they both hang up the phone at the same time. And so you don't know who's the ripper. And then um, Faye actually goes up and stabs him in the stomach, right, with a knife. So... I guess up until that point, maybe she's considered a suspect. I don't know. I don't know if it's up till that point, but I think that point turns her into some sort of suspect or a red herring. Yeah, some kind of re- like misdirection at yeah. the last kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'll give it to him then. There's enough suspects for it to get the uh, get the score. That's what definitely what I like, thought. It was like one of those stupid uh, endings where they're just going to switch it on you. Uh, even though she was kind of eyeing that blunt knife for a long time, like it was weird. It's like, well, if she was a killer, she wouldn't be looking at it that long. Um, right. But then she ended up using a knife on him, and we didn't know why. It, it seemed like he was acting innocently. And then uh, he takes a tumble down the stairs, and we think that the killer's gotten away with it again, but no. The... 
Two, two, it did, that dude took two tumbles down the stairs. Isn't that funny? That's true. Same stairs, right? Dude, I don't know if he did. I wonder if he did his own stunts. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Probably not. So then my other question is, um, do you consider Faye to be an amateur detective? Just probably in the scene when she goes up and uh, starts looking through Peter's room. And then, But then she goes to the hospital, too, to and then follow she, up yep. on... Then she goes and, uh, I mean, you think that she would already know that he has a daughter, but uh, the fact that she went there and it didn't seem like she was there out of the goodness of her heart to visit this poor sick child, she's there to kind of try to put some pieces together. So I would definitely well, consider her. Something... At that yeah. point, yeah. See, the reason why this is hard is because they don't show up until freaking 41 minutes into the film. <laughs> Whatever. The daughter even later, yeah. That's something about there's mis- a point. I was just yeah, gonna say, yeah, something about the the misdirection of this film that I don't really appreciate, and that I've seen in other films where they they'll bring in a character towards the end, and then all of a sudden you have to kind of shoehorn them into this backstory that for for the longest time didn't. It just doesn't feel like it fits in. It's like, whoa. So he has a daughter. That means he must have been with someone else who he never talked about. And it just it felt a little unsettling to me watching it. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't heard anything in the last minute. Oh. Is Chris gone? I think Chris is out. I was I got kicked off here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we're back now. I can hear you now, yeah. I got kicked off, Eric, while you were, you were talking about... Um... Oh, yeah, I just I don't... said it was kind of annoying how they brought the girl yeah. in at the end, and it didn't... It's It was kind of shoehorned in there. Well, oh, no, what I was going to say was um, there's a scene in the beginning where Faye is in the hospital, and she's like, the reason why I dreamt that you killer was because of all those terrible things I said about Susie. So she knew that he had a daughter but there was something she was trying to discover about the daughter that she didn't know or that he was being elusive about, I guess. And uh, that's why she she did all of that investigating up the steps and, and found that room. And thankfully she found that room because there were dolls in that room and that gave it another point. So right. I was a about that so my other question is um is it tr- do you guys really think that mickey scalenda was an accomplice and was working with the ripper or was it just a coincidence like there's a scene where they're talking about um where the doctor the the guy who's helping the investigation where he was talking about whether or not mickey scalenda was procuring victims for the Ripper or whether he just kind of got mixed up in it and just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time type of thing so yeah the way I kind of interpreted it and I thought I heard this dropped in there at some point as well was that the killer was actually um, kind of lucky because Mickey Scalenda just kind of stumbled into this trap and then the killer was able to pin a lot of the stuff uh, on him, even though it seemed like the killer wanted to get noticed for the crimes, it was almost like 
Nikki just kind of was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's from what I had interpreted. So then was Mickey also an amateur detective trying to find out who <laughs> the guy who kept killing everyone he was hanging out with was? I don't know. I didn't see him did doing he, much. Did he come to the house because he was looking for the killer? No, I think he came to the house to, to kill Faye because she was she going was to... fingering him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was about to say that, Eric. That was great. <clears throat> But it's, it says, I mean, in in, in uh, the Blood and Black Lace write-up, it says specifically, um, uh, hang on. Does it say when a twat is hot, it's more comfortable? <laughs> or did I hear that quote wrong in the movie? No, it sounds pretty solid. <laughs> trying to find the place where I read it earlier. Sounds like a logical argument. I think she likes it. Well, I mean, oh. if he is an accomplice, it's not on his own accord. It yeah, says Galenda's mm-hmm. corpse was subsequently discovered and it emerges that he was just a procurer for the killer. Hmm. So, I mean, the, so the questions are, okay, obviously the first victim we don't know anything about. Rosie, I don't know how you know the killer just happened to be on the ferry or the killer was um i think he was in line to get on the ferry when he saw the 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 bike go by but then when you get to the sex show mickey is involved because he was in the audience and then um the girl the, the the rich girl who the nymphomaniac obviously she met him and paid him for this crazy bondage sex uh, situation. But then, you know, the question is, like, why did the Ripper attack his own girlfriend? Because clearly he did. So Faye's on the train, and Skalenda's on the train, and Skalenda starts to stalk Faye. And then at some point, you hear somebody say, Faye, do you guys remember that part? I don't. Uh, when she, so she's right near the spot where she's just about to get stabbed in the leg and she had run down the street for a while and it's very dark and she hears like footsteps coming and then she hears Faye, Faye and then she turns and runs and then all of a sudden the Ripper is there with his surgical gloves on and stabs her so I mean you, you the, the amount of, of coincidence that had to kind of align itself yeah. for all that to happen is is kind of far-fetched which which kind of supports the whole theory that Scalenda was setting up victims for the killer but it, well, maybe it's yeah. was the whole reason why he killed himself is because he didn't want to become the suspect and and be put down for the crimes is it because right. is it because he's the whole time he was trying to be this accomplice and now that now that he's the guy that's the prime suspect it's too much for him to take is that why he killed himself that was that was the idea that they threw out there when they were interpreting when they found Scalenda's body there's a scene after that where uh, Williams and, and the psychologist are talking about like who he was and what his role was in everything so okay I want to give him the points because it's, you know, more than one killer or an accomplice is some extra points. But uh... Well, I mean, if you look at it as more than one killer or, I mean, I don't know if that would work as attacker, but, like, obviously 
Mickey is attacking people and hunting people down and all that other stuff. Right. But I don't know if it's ever like obvious that they know each other. Right. Because seriously, the whole thing with him coming to the house and attacking her seems so weird if he knew that that was his buddy's house. Unless the guy said, can you please kill my girlfriend? She's bugging a little bit. She's bugging me. Yeah, maybe he didn't know that the guy actually lived there. I don't know. But then, yeah, you're right. It's... It's too it's too much of an ambiguous situation for me to give it points. I'm just gonna leave it off. But um, but the fact that they're both doing that is different. But also, um, I have it playing in the background right now, and all of the parts where Faye is like having flashbacks to an attack that happened to her, and trying to put the pieces together from that. Right. I think that alone would give her amateur detective points. Right, because of the whole flashback thing. Yeah, because we're seeing her working out things in her head. I don't know if that's what what gives it the criteria, but whenever there's a character like this, Mm -hmm. that's how they work it out. Yep. But this movie also screams out to me that when they were filming this movie even they probably had no idea how it was going to end <laughs> right yeah and that really bums me out <laughs> yeah because we're talking about this i guess accomplice of peter but then in that scene we keep going back to where she's rummaging through his was it his child's bedroom or was that his actual bedroom i can't remember <laughs> i don't know I, it, I thought it was his kid's bedroom but yeah. then again She's up there looking you know, through it, and he comes in there through the window, and then Peter's the one that saves her, so it doesn't seem like he would be like the one to say, go kill her while I'm out, and then, right. I don't know, try to change a heart or something. So yeah, exactly. that, it's stuff like that that screams, we don't know how this is going to end, or how we want this to end. Yeah. And Faye was the killer. They pulled an audible, I don't know. Dude, when that guy's face explodes when he gets shot, oh, yeah. awesome. it's so funny. It's I, it's not something to laugh at, but good God. Like, it's a giggle fest. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and you know, the worst, probably the worst part of the entire film, um, more so than, like, the the graphic killings of the girls I think is the scene at the end where the little girl is just saying daddy don't leave me alone please answer the phone like that's that was really really tough for me to watch and maybe it's because I have a little girl about yeah. the same age but I mean still it was like just thinking about that what what that kid is going through at the end of the movie like there was no like most of these jallos or jolly they end kind of on a lighthearted note the killer is apprehended and but this one is like just totally reinforcing the whole like grittiness uh, of of the environment where it's like you know it, the kid is just going to continue to suffer in this hospital room until she dies and the only thing that she really wanted was to have her dad talk to her on the phone about the impeller the duck story and now he's been killed because he's a killer and uh and the other thing was he took on supposedly what he took on the persona of the duck uh 
whatever that means. And, oh, by the way, did you guys notice that Fulci has another Donald Duck uh, statuette in the film? Yes. Just like um, duckling. And then there was another, wasn't there another movie where there was a Donald Duck? Yeah, it was a Sister Ursula. It was hanging above the hooker's bed. You mean Lizard? Yeah. Or was Sister? Wasn't there something in Lizard in a woman's skin? Was it in Tor- Don't Torture a Duckling? So we've never not another about. Fulci film, but just another Jalo film that had Donald Duck. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right. But I thought it. I thought maybe it was a House of Laughing Windows or something. But yeah, oh, yeah. Donald Duck was definitely in Sister of Ursula. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I wanted to. I, I really needed to lighten the mood. I was thinking about that that yeah. girl with one arm and one leg sitting in the in the hospital. And they just drive off down, you know, down the road, and that's the end. Except for that weird scene where the psychologist kind of walks away, and they he turns around and it freeze frames, just like the end of Sister of Ursula, with that guy putting his hand through the hair at the end, and it freeze framed on him. It was kind of like the same thing. He must but have they, studied uh, followed it. Yes. Well, we had to. We had we had a class on it. Remember? I mean, Fulci must have studied it. Before doing oh. this film, <laughs> he's like, "This is awesome! Yeah, love it." <laughs> Not gonna put his hand through the hair, but no. And then you know, did we need to really know that the? I guess maybe it was more red herring stuff to know that the um, psychologist was gay and he liked to read um, young boy gay magazines. That was something that okay, this is probably the thing that bothered me the most and it was almost like they were trying to make a red herring when there wasn't one when they're searching the guy's apartment and we're (laughs) going through from a pov shot of someone with gloves on digging through everything and then it turns out to be like random cop dude number four right that was like ridiculous what about the penis bowl well yeah i mean you gotta drop the weens when you can, I guess. But the penis bowl was just wow. <laughs> exhibit A and Exhibit B. But like, I just don't get it. Like, taking your POV killer shot. Yeah. I mean, as far as misdirection goes, that's just like saying, like, "Hey, uh, we don't give a shit about you, Mister Viewer." We're going to make you think that the cop is talking to the killer right now. Yeah, that, it, it makes that untrusting. Like, next time that comes up, like, are we going to be able to believe that? And that is a very weird technique that they used for that scene. It's, uh, it, it's a weird scene in general because you have that overdub of that woman crying yeah. the whole time while, while they're rummaging through everything. But you're right. It's like when you first start the scene, it, it could be the killer who's just kind of obsessing over these kind of symbolic uh, you know magazine clippings but it turns out it's just they're ransacking this woman's house you know and that that's a, a pretty interesting idea mm. Mm. I don't know your, if interesting is the right word <laughs> I mean your idea that it um, it they're employing the kind of the technique of what the killer would see but it's not a killer it's the cops yeah it's an interesting idea 
Sorry, I wasn't specific. Unless um, that was the killer's accomplice. That cop? Yeah. Figured okay. it out. Random cop number four. Yeah. Who right. is the accomplice? Listen, as long as they get the uh, point, doesn't matter. <sighs> oh, but anywho. But it's a fun movie. You know? Yeah. I like the music. Yeah, definitely. The the gore is over the top. Uh, you can't really watch it for... I mean, it's. I think one of the reasons why this film is so divisive um, is because it's Fulci coming back, saying that he's coming back to do a Giallo film. Giallo film. Now, look what you did. Sorry. In the, in the 80s, after doing his, his zombie and his supernatural films, he's coming back to, to tackle this kind of... This offspring of the Giallo genre, these slasher films... But I feel like he's almost kind of out of touch with it. Like he's missing the point with it. Uh, it's it's just not the same as the films that I guess did it better that came earlier than him. Uh, the and I feel like he's trying to overdo it with the gore and stuff to kind of say, hey, this is my genre. You know, I was I was here first and I did the gory stuff first. And it's uh, that last victim though was so brutal, yeah. right? Just sliding like the, the razor through the nipple and the oh eye. Oh, dude, that's so fucking rough. Yeah. It, it seems like he amped it up with each one. Uh-huh. Like, I think it was, a, it was a progression of brutality that, like, led up to the, the kitty murder, which was obviously going to be the most brutal one. Um, but, yeah, that, that one is... I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, that. this movie is... It's just as gory as as his zombie movies, but because there's no monster, it's really hard to watch because it's like, you know, it's brutal, it's real, real life, realism, brutality, and uh, I think that, you know, it, it, it is Fulci's like most notorious film, and I think that um, because of that, a lot of people are drawn to it. Uh, to either watch it or a lot of people are disgusted and don't watch it because of that. But I think that the film, I don't think the film would have been the same without all of that gore and brutality. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the same film. Yeah. But um, it, it overshadows some of the more um, positive qualities of the film. And I think, you know, I think the, the direction and, and the, you know that the the, um, the visuals of the film are pretty well done, and and the story is interesting, and the ending is is I don't know if it's believable, but it's it's a pretty uh, kind of fun um, way that they revealed who the killer was and, and what the motivations were. So um, I think I think the thing about New York Ripper is that it 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 will always have that um, stigma of being too gory and and NC-17 and, and Video Nasty or whatever attached to it. And yeah. I think um, the big, the good qualities get lost in the uh, in the shuffle because most people just talk about how gory it is. Well, you got to look at it too that A, it had a fucking great title. B, the poster art was great. Yeah. And it came out at a perfect time when all people really wanted to see, it seemed like, was more and more gore. Yeah. Right. Like it just like everything was working for this movie at Definitely. the time it came out. Still, to me, it just—I yeah. guess if I could sum it up, it, it seems like it's 
It's like you know when you see those those middle-aged mothers out there that are trying to wear their daughter's clothes. Like they're trying to seem as hip and cool as their daughter and they just look way out of touch. I feel like that's kind of Fulci trying to do a slasher movie. But it, it reminds oh me of. God. That is so funny that that's what that reminds you of. That's great. I mean, it, it, I watched the first time I saw this, I didn't know what, really what the Jello movement was, and I didn't know that, I didn't even know that this was an Italian film. Like you said, it was called The New York Ripper. It had that kind of uh, recognizable cover art that you would see on other slasher films. And then I got, first of all, I got really thrown off by the dubbing. I didn't know what was going on. I thought something was wrong with my TV. And yeah. once I finally caught up to it, it just, uh, everything else just seemed <laughs> like, it was shot in New York, but it didn't feel the like... The dubbing on this is rough, dude. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. really bad. Yeah, and, just... and, you know, some of the actors are speaking English, but it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. <clears throat> I think our one English actor, the, the lieutenant, actually is from the UK, so I think they had to dub over just because of the accent, maybe. Well, it looked to me like Peter's character was speaking English. Yeah. And isn't that the guy who was in Blade in the Dark? I don't know Is if I the, saw that credit for him. The guy who killed, who was the killer in this, was he like the main guy in Blade in the Dark? So. They look a lot alike. So. I've seen him in something else, but I can't think of what it is. Mm. Well, luckily... It's we just have, an IMDb away. Right. It is. Kids. Whoever gets there first. Yeah. Peter. Um, yeah, I know that there's there's some. No, he was. It was Blade in the Dark. Was it? Was yep. it? Yeah, he was the he was the main guy. It doesn't Bruno. look the same. And Blade in the Dark was yeah. like only a year later. The guy who wrote the sound that was writing the soundtrack to the horror film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't we yeah, talk about the, this in Blade in the Dark? Oh yeah. The guy is. in that movie looks like Michael from Melrose Place. <laughs> More than he looks like the guy in this movie. Well, yes, another episode with a Melrose Place reference. Deal with it, people. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the more we find, the more we learn, the or the more we read into it, the more we find that this film has quite the bit of a Jello pedigree, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I for one um, am a fan of the film. I think that. Uh, most people who are interested in giallo and who are interested generally in the history of this type of film should should definitely watch this film um i don't recommend it to everybody especially if you're more interested in kind of the party giallo kind of mm -hmm. situation like it, <clears throat> you wouldn't watch this in the same company as you'd watch case of the bloody iris so this is much more of a blade in the dark movie to watch Right, but I like it more than Blade in the Dark. That the eighties nihilism. Yeah, right. If you like your slashers, then I think that's a good way to do it. If you're used to like, <clears throat> like Friday the Thirteenth and Prom Night and Halloween and Happy Birthday to Me and stuff like that, and you're wanting to get into this genre. This and Blade in the Dark is a good way to go before you start watching yeah. Five Dolls or Hatchet for the Honeymoon. That's, or I mean, that's kind of how I did it. Uh, I'd seen Blade in the Dark before. We did it on the show Stage Fright. It's kind of a movie I was interested in. The Church, Demons, those kind of films. Yeah. 
I find that to be so interesting too because the people who experienced the films as they were released experienced it in the exact opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it started with Blood and Black Lace in what 1963 and that movie was brutal for its time and people continued to just you know, it, the, the violence and the outlandishness of these films just continued to ramp themselves up as the years progressed. But for people who are coming to it from a, a standpoint of I was born in the 80s or 90s, they're like, well, I'm used to all these horror films and these slasher films. If somebody recommended um, like Bird with the Crystal Plumage to somebody who was a big slasher aficionado, they'd watch it and go, well, this really isn't that good. Yeah. There's not a lot of gore. Um, there's a lot of like scenes that aren't interesting where they're just trying to figure out who the killer is and you know th but that's at the same time though I think the New York Ripper is much more akin to Bay of Blood than it is like Strip New for Your Killer or even Eyeball you know what I'm saying am, am I going to get shot now for saying this but I, I really think it's the case no, but I, I'm not sure I get the connection. Like because think... Bay of Blood is very graphic. The story is kind of disjointed. Right. And people are kind of coming in and out, and you're really just watching it for the gore. I think New York Ripper, you're watching more for Fur Burger and Nipples. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But, I mean, I think th th those kind of go hand in hand. To me, I can see... I could yeah, see I could a double bill of Bay and Blood New York Ripper and feeling very proud of myself leaving that theater. <laughs> <laughs> but Bay of Blood is definitely like a kind of a tongue-in-cheek film, though. I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, it's like more of a black humor kind of a film. I agree, but I don't think most people will catch that on the first watch. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, it definitely takes some maturity to go the other way, I guess, like you were saying, go from the late 80s back to the 70s uh, it takes some um, being able to recognize why these films like Bird with a Crystal Plumage are important and why they are what developed the kind of movies that children of the 80s and 90s loved and without these kind of films you know you have to have that maturity to understand that without you know without them nothing would beget the films that they love right there is one random note that I want to add that I forgot to mention. Um, when I re it came to my mind when you brought up Case of the Bloody Irish, just because that's an amazing piece of artwork. <laughs> but um, for my birthday, my birthday was on Friday the 13th, and I got um, this bitchin' um, Italian um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward poster. Oh, nice. It's like really really hot and it has Edwidge like all bet backwards like over this thing and her um her undergarments are barely against her skin because of her nice hip bones poking out <laughs> so if you're into um pervy posters of our friend then this poster is amazing but also, we had a Friday the 13th 80s birthday party. And um, I don't know if you guys saw the pictures, but yeah. I looked amazing. And <laughs> Zoe made this big fucking Camp Crystal Lake sign. 
and um, we watched the first three Friday the 13th movies on a projector up on the wall behind um, my place. And we had a little campfire. It was awesome. And there were even kebabs. So I did a picture of the poster of Happy Birthday to me. It was like epic party, like all on top of one another. That's fantastic. Yeah, I definitely saw the pictures and I was... I was jealous, to be sure. I want to see that poster. Can you take a shot of it and post it on Facebook? I will. I've been trying to get a frame for it, but it seems to be an awkward size because I have so many poster frames, and yeah. I tried putting it in every single one, and it doesn't fit in any of them properly, so I have to get... Um, I'll just I'll, I'll flatten it out or something and take a picture, but um, I need a new frame for it. I like it. Yeah, and speaking of posters, I went through like a few hours of obsessing over um, the, the posters we were talking about uh, a few episodes ago. The ones that are like, I think they're like, um, they're very narrow and tall. Maybe they're. Um, I saw you guys talking about those. I forget what I forget what the, the dimensions are, but they're. I, I went I went over to eBay and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start collecting these now. <laughs> realize that I, I'm not going to do that. It's going to be very expensive. Um, there were some, they're all originals. You can't get just like reprints of them. I don't know though. It, it looks like it looks like the ones that you buy from Italy are in the fifteen to twenty-five dollar range, and of course, it's another ten bucks to get it shipped over. And those, I don't think those are originals. I think those are reprints. But there are a few. Like the Perversion Story one is so cool. I really want to get that one. Um, and there's a few other ones. I, I always like the one for a short night of glass dolls with the, it's like the guy's head in the middle with the like swirling um, green kind of cloud around his head. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that yeah. one. Yeah, uh, that one's really cool too. Are are these dimensions the same as those um, like Japanese um, theatrical posters? I don't they're know. Like, they're like maybe like a foot across, but they're like four feet long or something like that I'm not sure that's a good question I don't really know I know that they are something like maybe 37 inches tall and like 11 or 11 and a half inches wide or something like that Hmm. I think that's roughly I mean the measurements I gave were shit but I think that's kind of roughly the same idea yeah and, but in Japan, know, it was like that because they're the way they could write the titles. Oh yeah, right. Worked sure. easier, but um, I don't know why. That's how they were in Italy. What are they called? Like luchadors or something like that? I'm <laughs> such a dick. What I'm trying to. Find, I'm trying to find the page. Locarinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's not. I is it? it it's it's low. Lojack. Well, if we can't even get Troy's name right. I know, right? The problem is there's no way to, like, search the group to find that specific one. Damn you, Facebook. Ugh. Oh, I better not say that. Right. Like, it deleted. Just don't write it, that's all. It's so hard for me to make you an admin, I can't go through that again. <laughs> well, as long as all of us are admins, people could get deleted uh, and we could come back, so it should be oh. okay. Locandina. 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 Our accents are so bad. 
I know. Why don't we That's... cover it up by a... Uh, I'll, I'll throw out some quick production notes on the film. Oh, yes, yes. Please do. Really, all I could find about it was, was all about the heavy cuts because of all the gore and the sex that we talked about. Um, it, I think at one point, when it went over to the UK, the BBFC chairman, James Furman, your buddy and mine, ordered all prints be shipped out of the country. So he didn't even, he, you know, it, was, it wasn't even a video nasty. It was just shipped out of the country altogether. Uh, and and they needed to be escorted out. Right. And then in, uh, in America, the there was a very limited premiere in 1984, so two years later, and most Americans didn't even know about the film or see it until 1987 when it got a release on video cassette. Uh, once again, pretty heavily cut. Um, so those are some... The main notes about this one, I guess you could talk about the people involved in the film. Uh, you've got Dardano Sacchetti, who wrote pretty much every film with Fulci that is of note. You know, the late 70s, early 80s, all those films he did uh, were pretty much penned alongside Dardano Sacchetti. And uh, then they had kind of a falling out, and he went and started working with Lamberto Bava in the 80s. And I think a lot of people talk about Fulci's output really dwindling after Sacchetti left so it was kind of like exposing Fulci for not really being a fraud but just not having the chops to write a good film by himself Um, and then the music which you've probably heard a thousand times already isn't done by one of our regulars it was done by Francesco De Masi who uh, had actually gotten his start in the early 60s and had started composing spaghetti westerns even before uh, Morricone. And uh, he didn't do very many giallo films or horror films. This is really one of his only ones, but uh, I think it's probably one of the most memorable giallo scores that we've had so far on the show, so it's kind of interesting. It definitely is. I agree to that statement. Um, As far as random trivia goes... Um, all I really have here is that the um, razor blade scene uh, was originally 22 seconds longer. Yeah. And um, uh, but images of what was done and what was cut can be found on the Japanese DVD cover. Huh. Japanese get everything good. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Oh, um, and it was also um, finally released on DVD in the UK in 2007. Yeah. That's ridiculous, yeah. dude. I just found out today that um, Netflix was just launched in Australia today. Really? Can you fucking believe that shit? Wow. That's, I feel so horrible. I know we've got a couple of Australian listeners. Australia. Oh my gosh, they're not even listening to the show now. They're like, fuck, I could watch a whole season of what? Yeah, Yeah. they're going to leave us behind. Yeah. Um, The lead role was originally offered to Catriona McCall, who previously starred in City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, and House by the Cemetery. Um, She was apparently a little suspicious and turned the offer down. What do you think she was suspicious about? The toe scene. <clears throat> you think so? <laughs> not the 
Not the Blade in the Nipple. Actually, that could have been a better title for this movie. Blade, blade in the Nipple. <laughs> I think I would have rather taken a Blade in the Nipple than a toe up this. The Wahoo. The Wahoo. The Wahoo Fish Taco. Wahoo McDaniel. Do you guys have that Wahoo Fish Tacos? No. Okay, that's a chain over here, I guess. Um, all right. How did you guys view the film? Because um, with my eyeballs. Well, on what medium? Computer. Okay. I picked it up on a, a Blu-ray because I don't I don't own the film, and um, I was kind of interested in some of the special features. I almost picked up the the UK one you were talking about from Shameless. But even that has a bunch of cuts still to it. I guess it's like multiple minutes shorter than the American cuts. So I picked picked up the Blue Underground one. And um, it's definitely, like if you're looking for grimy New York, you're not going to get it from this. It's just way too pristine and, and clean. And you could see the makeup on the actors' faces at points. So uh. I was a little let down by that. But other than that, it was um, kind of interesting to watch it that way. I freaking hate Blu-rays. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a dick, but, like, that just makes me sad. I know. It's kind of like that's where all the the good stuff is as far as getting interviews and and uh, kind of bonus stuff. Yeah. And if you don't own the, already own the film, it's kind of, like, good to maybe start with that. But if you have a DVD of this one or any, even a VHS tape, if there yeah. are those, I think I would hold on to those instead. I mean, the print I have is pretty grimy. Um, and all the 42nd Street stuff looks great. Yeah. Like, that's, like, some of the... As far as, like, location goes, yeah, that's, like, the funnest stuff in right. the movie for me. Yeah. I just wish I was able to have been alive and kicking when that was a thing because yeah. dude i swear to god man that would have been oh we would have tore that town apart yeah or sat a good seat mm-hmm. for a few hours at a time you know <laughs> but yeah, you would have been the guy yeah. in the second row that was sleeping mm-hmm. it's really interesting because you know that area of new york changed so quickly um, and it was like Mayor, I think it was Mayor Giuliani that came in and decided to clean up Times Square. And now it's like a humongous tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. It's like the place to go. Um, but I think I remember going there as a kid because, you know, we're not, I lived, I grew up in New Jersey, so we're not far from New York City. And I remember going there as a kid to go to Madison Square Garden for concerts or to go to New York for this or this or this Christmas or whatever. And I remember that area vaguely. I just, uh, it's, it's, you know, I don't, obviously we didn't spend that much time there if I was a little kid, but um, I just remember it being like, I do remember it just being like on both sides of the street, just, just nonstop porn shops. Like that's all it was up and down the whole way. Nothing but uh, peep shows and. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Like the, the, 
I just they, I, I looked it up right now on Wikipedia, so this has to be true. It says in the early 1990s, city government encouraged a cleanup of the Times Square area. In 1990, the city government took over six of the historic theaters on the block of 42nd Street between 7th and 8th Avenues. In 1993, the Walt Disney Corporation bought the New Amsterdam Theater, which it renovated a few years later. Since the mid-1990s, the block has again become home to legitimate theaters and mainstream movie theaters, along with shops and restaurants and attractions that draw millions to the city every year. This area is now co-signed as new 42nd Street to signify the change. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Biggest raspberry of them all. Fuck, man. You know, as soon as Disney buys a place on your block, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. That's we're what happened for our Vegas, podcast man. next, I think. It, it seems to me that this, I mean, we're obviously going off topic a bit, but it seems to me like in the 80s that there was places that you could go and watch people have sex on stage. And I don't think that you can do that very much anymore, right? There were I mean, places like... Um, I grew up in Anaheim, Buena Park area in Orange County, and where Knott's Berry Farm is, um, if you guys know what Knott's Berry Farm is, um, it's supposedly the first theme park in America. I don't know how true that is, but um, Caddy Corner from that is this um, little kind of entertainment complex now, and now they have like Medieval Times and the Pirates Dinner Show and all this other shit and there used to be this um trashy theater there that would have according to my childhood eyes live sex because that's what the sign said but um that they ended up closing that down and turning it into a ripley's believe it or not like in the 90s how fitting yeah but like when i was a kid there were strip clubs and all sorts of smutty crap and like the quarter arcades the adult arcades right over like beach boulevard and um like all over anaheim and up and down point park and like you could hardly find any of that now well we could lament yeah i mean i still think that they have places where you can go in and watch somebody behind a glass, like do a solo performance. Like, uh, did you guys ever see that movie Nightmare? That's a really nasty slasher film. No. Uh, Night- yeah. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, I think it was also called. Is that the one where the door, the thing keeps shutting and they keep opening it back up? Like the little, what movie is that? Like, there's a chick in the center of a room, and it's, like, a really tiny, tiny room, and there's, like, these little booths, like, in a circle, and people could go in there and pay, and then the door lifts up so they could see through the glass. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie was about this guy who who was released from some psychiatry center, and he travels uh, to Times Square and then eventually drives down to Florida to um because that's where his family is and he basically kills people on the way and um it's a pretty nasty film i think tom tom savini is credited with the effects but it turned out that he didn't do them or something like that it's a pretty nasty film but um that's another one where there's 
Times Square is prominently featured and the guy goes in and uh, he picks up the phone and like it's like it's it's almost like going to visit someone in prison except the person's not in prison they're just a female sex performer and they they perform solo sex acts on themselves while you watch and uh that's that's interesting that's friendly very friendly <sighs> well so what but movie... we di- we digress so we all decided that this movie's okay I think so. Yeah. Okay, so, and then next time we're doing um, Midnight Heels of Cat Scratch. Wait. Buttholes. What's the... How come I can't think of the Buttholes Walk at Midnight. Fuck, dude. Midnight Heels of Buttholes. Yeah. Okay, well, that'll be fun. Death, Death Walks at Midnight. So we'll play the trailer for that now. Is there anything else? No. I need to go. I think that's enough. Yeah. Okay, so until next time, everybody. Ciao, ciao. I need to get my glass case, so ciao, ciao. (laughs)